says, I owe me. I deserve it. It's a sense of entitlement. I've worked hard. I'm an American. I tithe. So obviously, I deserve what I get. I owe me. Friends, that is a toxic attitude, and it leads to greed. A person who is greedy has a mantra that basically says, what is mine is mine. I've earned it. Now, greed is a lot different than guilt or anger. It's a whole different breed, really, than the other three enemies we're talking about. Because greed hides and disguises itself. Now, you might have already thought in your mind, well, I'm not a greedy person. This sermon's not going to apply to me. Because greed is very, very subtle. It's hard for us to identify in our life. Other people can identify it for us, but it's hard for us to identify. We've made it almost impossible to identify greed, particularly in the United States of America. Unlike anger, unlike guilt, Greed actually hides behind several virtues. Say, well, I'm not greedy, I'm just a saver. Man, saving is a good thing, isn't it? Well, we all should save, we all should add margins. You can say, well, I'm not greedy, I just like to plan ahead. And after all, the Bible talks about if you build a tower, you should plan. And so I'm doing a spiritual thing by saving and by planning. Or even the fact that, well, I just want my future secure. No one can argue with that. There's biblical principles that security is a good thing. But we need to be careful because those things can be facades. Greed is easy to hide. Unlike what you might think, I'm not talking today about a financial issue. Greed is not a financial issue, it's a heart issue. And that's what we're trying to allow the Holy Spirit to do in our lives. Man, this whole month of March, it's been difficult. Very difficult. Because we're dealing with with hard stuff. We're dealing with sins, not of our neighbors. We're dealing with sins that tend to creep into our own hearts. Greed knows no socioeconomic barriers. See, you can be dirt poor and still have a greedy heart. If you have your Bible this morning, let's turn to Luke chapter 12. Oh, look what happens to be on my table this morning. It's my ORU alumni sweatshirt. Anybody following the NCAA basketball tournament? Number 15 seeded, ORU, beat in overtime. Number two, number two seeded, Iowa State. (laughs) I tell you, we are the Cinderella team. Last time ORU won an NCAA tournament game was when I was a freshman there. I know, you're saying that was a long time ago. We actually ended up in the Sweet 16 that particular year, 1974. Never won a game since then. Haven't been there for like, I don't know, 18 years or something. They play Florida today. If you have time, just offer a prayer. Offer a prayer for the Golden Eagles. 
Okay, it was my Bible I was looking for, not my sweatshirt, sorry. Yeah, I really wanted to wear that, but I didn't know if it was really appropriate for Sunday mornings. I just wore my blue shirt for the Golden Eagles. Luke chapter 12. If uh, you're watching online, if you're on wfa.church and watching live there, uh, there's a drop-down menu that says notes, and you can just drop down. All the notes are there. Not available if you're watching on Facebook this morning, but if you go to wfa.church and watch from our website, notes are there. You can give. If you give your heart to the Lord today for the first time, let us know. Uh, That's a great way to communicate with us. Luke chapter 12, very familiar portion of Scripture. Uh, Beginning with verse 15, then Jesus said to them, watch out. What did I tell you? Greed is subtle. Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told them a parable, as Jesus always or often did. He said, the ground of a certain rich man yield an abundant harvest. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I've got no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And then uh, there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then you will get what you have prepared for yourself. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Father, open our hearts, open our spiritual ears. Lord, examine my heart. Lord, we don't want greed to be a barrier to be more like you. So, Lord, today as we walk through this parable that Jesus told, make it real to us. And then give us the boldness through your Holy Spirit to apply it to our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Watch out. Be on guard. Notice how Jesus begins this teaching with a warning. Again, because as I've mentioned, greed can be subtle. And also, I want you to know what Jesus said right up front. Your life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. He said that, and we need to remember that because for greedy people, stuff equals life. So the more stuff you have, the better life you perceive you have. So to mess with somebody's stuff or possessions is personally threatening to them. Because in their mind, you're messing with their life. You steal my ORU alumni sweatshirt, and you're messing with my life because this is my sweatshirt. You know what I'm saying? It's that that frame of reference that greed sometimes skews the reality of things. And when people get threatened, you know what happens? You get fearful. Think about that. When you are threatened by a situation or by a person, 
you are fearful. Fear basically is the driving force behind greed. Fear will fuel your greed. Oh man, I, I can't part with that because I might need it tomorrow. You're fearful that what you have given away is your security. So they fear really either that God can't take care of them or that God won't take care of them. That's why I say fear will drive greed because it comes back to, well, we have to do it ourselves. We have to have this stuff. We have to earn it. And that's why Jesus begins with this warning. Because greed, friends, can take residence in our heart, can live there for years undetected. Now, I hope that most of you have already read today's Bible reading. We're reading through the Bible together this year as a church. And then on Wednesday nights, 7 o'clock, right here in the auditorium, we're coming together and discussing what we've read. Well, this morning, we read about Samuel and his sons. And if you haven't read that verse yet, go home and do that. I hope you're keeping up with this. But it's very interesting here because Samuel's sons, it says, did not follow the ways of Samuel, but they turned aside after gain, after greed. In fact, it went to the point that they accepted bribes. They were doing things that were really almost like extortion. But it hit me when I read that early this morning, I thought, there it is. There's greed found in today's Bible reading. Samuel's sons did not follow the ways of the Lord because they turned toward gain. And that's what this parable is all about. This man's fortune has actually left him with this dilemma. He has been so abundantly blessed, he has no place to store his crops. And I'm pretty sure the guy thought that he had been blessed because of his hard work. And so what do you do? Well, you build bigger barns. You go out and you rent storage units to put your excess stuff that you won't look at for three years. But it's important. The bigger barn syndrome is my first point this morning. The bigger barn, and we all fall into that trap. Linda's grandparents had a farm in, still do have a farm, it's in the family, Big Springs, Nebraska. It's now run by her uncle. Here's a thing that I have learned through the years and just kind of dealing with Uncle Charles and being around the farm and anyone in agricultural, you know, it can be the Cowans who are here who, you know, grow pears or whoever. Anyone who is in the agricultural business can admit that abundant harvest generally has little to do with their work because farmers and orchardists are at the mercy of factors that they have either no or little control over, like rain. They will take out a whole cherry harvest, like a late frost, like a shift in the market. You might have read in the Wenatchee World recently, it was in a recent paper, 
State egg exports crimped by cargo container shortage. Stemelt usually ships 10 to 15 containers of fruit every week to Taiwan. This week, we will not have a single shipment. They have the apples. The problem is getting the apples on the cargo, on the container cargoes, and shipping them over to Asia. Very interesting. I read that article and I thought, man, that's terrible. We can't even sell products that people want. That has to do with the transportation issue. And if you read the whole article, it is somewhat COVID-related. So what I'm saying is a greedy person doesn't see it that way. So when they have an abundance of harvest, they tend to believe that they have earned it. They seldom consider the notion that God might have had something to do with it. And it doesn't cross their mind as it didn't with this guy. Man, if I have abundance of harvest and God has given it to me, Perhaps it's intended to bless somebody else instead of blessing me. <laughs> now, it's, oh, well, this is for me, for my future. I better build bigger barns. I tell you, a better question when you are blessed beyond your expectation is not, what can I do with this blessing? It's, Lord, what do you want me to do with this blessing? Now, that's not generally what comes to mind. All of us have been blessed recently. We've all received three rounds of stimulus checks from our government. Maybe some of you only received two, but you'll receive your third round. And we say, man, lucky me. Or if you're real spiritual, you'll say, oh, I'm so blessed. The Lord has blessed me. And friends, every one of us can come up with a plan for that extra money. But it's our plan. See, bigger barn syndrome is a malady common to those of us whose heart has been tainted by greed. Well, we can take an extra vacation. We can finally buy that new car. We can now have the 102-inch screen television instead of that little 81-inch screen television. Whatever it might be. But notice in verse 12, uh, 19 here, the, the man here even offers an explanation to why he's chosen to do what he did, right? Because keep in mind, greed is always looking for something good to hide behind. The Bible says we can justify almost anything in our heart. Greed is subtle. Greed is looking for something good to hide behind. So notice what verse 19 says. He says, I'll build a bigger barn. And then he's going to say why he's going to build a bigger barn. It says, I'll say to myself, now you have plenty of grain laid up for the years ahead. So what he was saying is, I'm securing my future. I'm securing my future. Now, that seems noble. In some ways, it's almost biblical. And if the story would end right there, we might say, you know, that guy's a role model for us. He didn't go out and spend all that. He saved it up for his future. But here's the deal, friends. The story doesn't end there. The story goes on. 
See, he was presuming on years that he didn't have coming. He had overlooked the God factor when evaluating his excessive blessings. And now he's overlooked the God factor when counting how many years of his life he has left. He assumed the abundance of his possessions assured him an abundance of time. Not true. The two really don't have anything in common with one another. He's about to learn that life is not equivalent to the amount of possessions you have. Don't ever think the more stuff you have, the longer you're going to live, because that's not true. Now, God delivers some really bad news to him here. Verse number 20, God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded of you. He asks the landowner a question that is loaded with implications for us. And here's the question that's found in the second half of verse 20. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? The answer to that is somebody else is going to get it. Somebody else is going to end up with all the extra grain and all the bigger barns that this guy had accumulated for himself. And not because he's generous. It's because he's dead. We need to learn from that. And the truth is, friends, eventually everything that you claim to own, everything I claim to own is going to be ended up owned by somebody else. That's true. Everything. And Jesus issues a very stern warning here. And it's harsh. Verse 21. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves. But it's not rich toward God. I think here we can find the definition of a greedy person in the mind of Jesus. A greedy person in the mind of Jesus is somebody who stores up things for himself but isn't rich toward God. Now, what does it mean being rich toward God? That's Jesus' talk for being generous to other people, to those who have need. The remedy for greed is generosity. And I want to talk for a few minutes about the power of generosity. But before I do, I want us to wrestle with one more really hard question. <laughs> Why do we have so much? As Americans, as people who are living here, why do we have so much? United States is the richest country in the world. Switzerland, a little bit behind us. But here's the deal. In the U.S., the distribution of wealth is more unequal than any other country in the world. So think about that for just a moment. We're the richest country in the world, yet the distribution of wealth is 
more unequal. And we know that's true. The rich get richer. What we know is the middle class is disappearing. Now, I read, and this is a 2020 statistic, so it's relatively new. Worldwide, now think of this, 1% of the people own 44% of financial assets. Think of 100 people, one person in that group owns 44% of all the financial assets of that entire group. Now, you and I can say, well, that's not us. <laughs> I don't think any of us are in that 1%. No, probably not. But again, in perspective, I want you to know as Americans, we are blessed we are blessed by God. We are blessed in abundance. We have more than we need. The global median income, 7 billion people, the global median income is roughly $2,100 per year. Now just compare that to what is on your 1040. I read another statistic. Americans spend an average of $3,400 a year on just food and beverages. And the median income is $2,100. So we live a lifestyle, friends, that is almost beyond imagination for most of the poor people in the world. And we have to wrestle with that. Now, God has blessed us, and we're to enjoy that blessing. But we need to remember the extra abundant grain does not belong to us. It belongs to God. And we have to wrestle with it because we live in a society that is so consumer-driven our entire culture keeps us focused on what we don't have. Focusing on what we don't have leads to this vulnerability that I'm talking about this morning of greed. Why has God provided for us so much more than we really need? Now, you all know where I'm going with this. The parable that Jesus tells us makes it clear. We have been given abundance, verse 21, so that we can be rich and generous toward God. So let's talk as we kind of move into my third point this morning on how to conquer greed. How do we conquer this? There's nothing wrong with having things. Don't get me wrong. But you need to realize they're not your things. They're God's things. We're managing them for him. Here is the solution. If you feel maybe there's a little bit of greed someplace in your heart, generous giving will break that grip of greed. Just as if you're angry, you need to forgive. If you've got all this guilt, you need to confess. If you feel there's an area of your heart that you're greedy, you need to be generous. Generosity. Now, I'm not talking about giving out excess. Because if I have two $20 bills in my pocket and someone needs a $20 bill, it's pretty easy to give out of my excess. 
But in fact, I think we should be so generous that it actually begins to impact our lifestyle. Because as I understand this parable, if we don't give to the point that it impacts us, then we need to be worried that maybe there is some greed in our life. I know that's harsh, but it's red letter stuff. It's the words of Jesus here. And to be honest, a lot of the teachings of Jesus are pretty harsh. Now, most of us feel compassion when we see someone who has a need or we hear about a, a need in our world or a missionary who, who has a financial need or a prayer need. We, we have compassion. But sometimes we don't give, either because we don't think we can give or simply because we won't give. Because we, again, feel like we won't have enough in the future. And that's a matter of trust in God. See, greed is not a feeling. Think about that. Greed is a refusal to act. I love what Andy Stanley says. Greed is evidenced not by how you feel, but what you do. Isn't that good? I don't think I got nearly a, as many amens as I should have, so I'm going to read it again. Thank you, Shy and Leslie. I appreciate you guys cheering me on this morning. Here it is. Greed is evidence not by how you feel, but what you do. See, we can have all the generous feelings. We can have all the good intentions, but they'll never compensate for a greedy heart. So the question is, how do we change our heart? Is it through prayer? Is it by asking God to do some kind of supernatural work through the power of his Holy Spirit where we wake up one morning and all of a sudden we're, we're generous? No, no, it isn't. You know, sometimes Jesus asks us to act in obedience. Remember the man that he said, if you want heal, you go dip seven times in the river? Uh, it wasn't Jesus, it was the prophet that said that. But the prophet could have just declared healing. Often, pick up your mat and walk. Often, there's something we have to do in order to receive the provision of God. And I'm here to tell you today, biblically, giving is the way that God will change your heart. Giving is the way that God changes your heart. Don't wait until God changes your heart to give. Someone once told me years ago, Jerry, just give until you're cheerful. And you who are generous, you who know what I'm talking about, who live this generous life, who are, are givers, you know nothing, absolutely nothing is more fulfilling than being generous. We break the subtle sin of greed, that enemy of our spiritual heart, by living a truly abundant life by being generous. And as I kind of wrap things up, I want to talk about two different ways that I think all of us should be giving. All of us. Number one is I think we should be what I'd call percentage givers. That means you give a certain percentage of your income right off the top, first thing. Certain percentage, the first check you write is given 
to the work of the Lord. Because that shows your heart. It shows that God's kingdom is going to be funded against yours. Now, I believe in what's called tithing. Tithe simply means 10%. It's an Old Testament principle. It was actually instituted before the law. Jesus actually endorsed it. But it's not a legalistic thing. But I was taught and I I personally give more than 10% because I want those blessings of the Lord, but I think 10% is a good place for us to aim for. That's what we call a tithe when we say, let's give our tithe and offerings. But maybe you want to start with 2 or 3%. God knows your heart. That's a good place to start. You know, if you decided, I'm going to start giving 3% of my income to the Lord every, every month, you'd probably not miss it. Seriously, you know, 3% of $2,500 is 75 bucks. Probably wouldn't. I have encouraged people through the years, man, I'm not saying you need to start at 10%, but be a percentage giver. Start at 2%, you'll find out you can increase it at 4%. God, God is going to make that money increase back to you. The old saying, you can't outgive the Lord, that is true. Pretty soon you will be giving 10%. Pretty soon you won't be happy just at 10%. You'll want to give more. It's important. Be a percentage giver. And secondly, be a spontaneous giver. And this church is known for that. Before COVID hit, if a missionary came, wouldn't matter if it was a brand new young missionary that had never been on the field or someone that had served God for 30 years faithfully with the Assemblies of God, wouldn't matter. The average offering that was given from Wenatchee First Assembly was about $1,800. $1,800, which was huge. Missionaries always said, man, I can't believe that your church blessed us that way. That's spontaneous giving. When we say, you know, there's been a tragedy in Louisiana, we want to send money to Convoy of Hope to get fresh water there, to, to, to help in that need. This church has been known to give thousands of dollars, just spontaneous. And I think that is above what we should do in percentage. Be a percentage giver, be a spontaneous giver. And sometimes that's just somebody you meet during the week that has need. Maybe aware of a situation that, that you can bless somebody else. Those two habits, I think, will protect me and protect you from the bigger barn syndrome. Realizing, man, God has blessed me so that I can bless others. There's a dear couple in our church who, when the first stimulus check came, she contacted me right away. And she said, you know, this is such a blessing, but we really don't need it. We, we know what our retirement funds are. We know what our, God's blessed us. It's, is there someone in the church that's out of work? Is there someone in the church that has been affected adversely by COVID? We want to give our stimulus money away. That's what I'm talking about, friends. Realizing that God blesses us so that we can bless other people. And giving brings a cheerfulness. You'll develop a new attitude about giving. And then when you receive that raise at work, 
before you decide how to spend it, you'll say, you know, Lord, you have blessed me with this. Would you lead and direct me? And maybe it will be for something personal. I remember when, when my wife got her full-time job at the college. It was an answer to prayer because we needed to fund our daughter's education. Now, we gave some of that money away as well. I'm not saying that you need to give everything away. I'm just saying be open to what God wants you to do with your abundant harvest. That was the problem with the man in the parable. He had it figured out. Well, I'm going to store it away, and then he reasoned, because I'm going to have a long life and I'll need it. Yet he died that very night. What kingdom endeavor can I fund? Who can I help? Man, I want to clarify, having money isn't a bad thing. I'm glad I live in America. I'm glad I'm abundantly blessed. I don't take my hot water shower every morning for granted. I don't take that I, I get to drive a, a, a car to where I need to go. I don't take those things for granted. It's not, you know, having money that's the bad thing. It's knowing why you have that money or not knowing why. If you're going to leave it all to somebody else when you die anyway, then one thing is clear, it's really not yours to begin with. You're a manager. God, uh, King David recognized that, that God owns everything. And I want to just leave you with this thought. We're almost done. God owns everything. First Chronicles 29.11. First Chronicles 29.11. King David says, Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Didn't we begin our service, our gathering this morning by singing that? He is above all. You and I are money managers. Now, what does a money manager do? He handles your money. If you have a money manager, a financial advisor, it's not his money, it's yours, right? And so what he is entrusted to do is to handle your money with your goals in mind, not his goals. Correct? Think of it that way. We are just money managers. It's all God's. So we need to be rich toward God, not storing it up for ourselves. We need to ask ourselves, God, what do you want us to do with this tremendous blessing? And it might not just be money. It might be your time. Maybe the Lord's dealing with some of you about volunteering time. Maybe it's with possessions. Maybe there's things in your house that you haven't used for years that maybe somebody else could benefit from. Maybe through Servo and Valley Furniture Ministry. Maybe through giving to a young couple that's just started. I don't know. But I know we need to be 
percentage givers and we need to be spontaneous givers and we need to ask God, what do you want us to do with all these resources you've entrusted to us? Guard your heart, friends, against greed. Be careful. Don't hide behind all those positive virtues like the man in the parable. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you today. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word that gives us direction for life. Your word that clarifies issues that we deal with in reality. God, I pray today as we wrestle with this enemy of our heart called greed, that you will shine your light upon the darkness of our heart. Maybe we've hid behind, well, I'm just frugal. Well, I'm just a planner. I'm just a saver. Lord, break down those barriers. Help us to see the way that you see. And particularly, Lord, with the resources we have. They all belong to you, as King David said. So God, help us to manage them in a way that would be pleasing to you and would be toward your goals for the kingdom instead of our goals for this temporal earthly life in which we will leave eventually and everything we own will be owned by someone else. We love you today, Jesus. Speak to us.